0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to DR News. Today, I'll be taking over from Lex, and I have the privilege of sitting down with Mr. Jackie Shandu, a prominent figure known for his strong pro-black justice, strong stance, sorry, on pro-black justice and his active involvement in social activism. Jackie is a former member of the EFF and a renowned political analyst, has dedicated his life to advocating for the rights of the marginalized communities in South Africa. Despite facing criticisms and controversy, he seeks to challenge the prevailing narratives and foster a more inclusive understanding of the struggles faced by the Black community. Today, we aim to provide you with deeper insights into Jackie's life, his experiences, and his vision for the future of South Africa. Our goal is to present present a fair and balanced perspective, allowing you to form your own understanding of of this complex and influential figure. So, without further ado, let us dive into this conversation with Mr. Jackie Shandu. Hello, sir. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks. Yourself?
0: I am, I'm good. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have brilliant black minds around us. Uh, so, just get into it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing and how it shaped your perspective on social justice issues? <sighs>
1: yeah. Oh. The short version is, uh, I'm born and raised in the small town of uh, uh which is roughly 70 km uh, north of Durban. Uh, At Palito? Well, right next to Palito. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of disingenuous people always claim to come from Palito when they come from Steng. <laughs> but uh, yeah it's totally different uh, communities even in terms of yeah uh, the property values and, and and the income brackets yeah but uh, i'm a proud uh, native of uh, that's why i did my primary and uh, high schooling uh, after which i uh, immediately left for university uh, i studied at uk zn I studied commerce, I studied law, uh, and economics, uh, all the way to uh, master's level. Uh, So yeah, but in between that, a lot has been happening. I was in the corporate sector for a while, uh, started uh, doing investment banking, uh, moved from that to uh, forensic uh, analyst, with uh, one of the big four audit firms. Uh, my last stint in the corporate world was with a major American uh, ICT company. Uh, so yeah, that was it, but with that experience and exposure to SIRAS multinational corporations as a young black, uh, professional, I learned and quickly understood that by design and operation, uh, South Africa still works on the basis of the old rules and the old
0: order. Uh, which. What do you mean by old for those that may not have context that are on shoppers as, as yourself?
1: Well, we like to think of 1994 as a turning point of some sort in terms of uh the politics and the economics of the country and how they are run uh however it's only and and there's a lot of good looking things uh, there's a lot of aesthetics that have been sort of uh built into uh, corporate life of south africa Stakeholder call the engagement you know that may make uh an observant who's shallow uh, think that uh, there's been dramatic change. There's now diversity and inclusivity and all of that. That's what they want it to look like. And that's what the PR, a lot of their PR does. uh, But any self-proud and black-conscious black professional will tell you that uh, corporate, in many ways, still Mm -hmm. remains the bastion of white privilege and white supremacy in South Africa. Mm. And that is why it becomes very difficult for self-proud and self-loving black individuals to stick it out or survive, or just uh, basically endure all the nonsense that comes with being black and educated and articulate and conscious. Mm. Um,
0: Go work, go broke. Um, So, What motivated you to join the EFF initially and what were your experiences like during your time with the organization?
1: More than anything, it's my quest to see South Africa change, uh, meaningfully from, as I alluded to, being, uh, an, an economy owned and dominated by whites, where black people, uh, participate on very stringent terms and conditions set by whites alone. Uh, more than anything, that's, that's what the current generation is struggling for. Uh, 1994 is significant in the sense that it is able to do away with uh, apartheid laws in terms of uh, participation. Mm. So uh, now democracy, one can vote and those kinds of things. Uh, we social we,
0: barriers to entry almost we,
1: we we acknowledge that but what 1994 fails flatly to do is to restructure the economy of the country so that black people do not always have to participate on the terms laid out by whites who own the economy of this country primarily through uh, land ownership uh, patterns, which still mirror the 1652 and 1948 uh, agenda, which that agenda was obviously to dispossess African people of their land. Once you dispossess them of their land, you take away the means for them to reproduce themselves socially and economically. And when you do that, you weaken them to a point where they must surrender themselves to the white men Cap in hand, begging for jobs, begging for opportunities. And that's precisely what we are seeing now. And that is what is disturbing in the narrative of the government of the day since 1994, that it's a government that has chosen to forget that the struggle from 1652 to date was not just about putting an X in a ballot or getting access to morningside florida road or to the beach to sit around with white people Mm. primarily and fundamentally the struggle has always been about the return of the land to its rightful owners which is the african majority is this why then you you headed
0: over to the eff and and went to the gates
1: well there was a common understanding Mm -hmm. of that historical mission that needed to be pursued, that had been abandoned by the the ruling party, which is also the government of the day. Uh, So yeah, we, so I didn't necessarily join. I was part of the founding uh, group of the EFF. Oh, really? And uh, had uh, my own uh, modest contribution in terms of the documents, the policies that uh would shape and continue to shape and define uh, the organization and uh, that is why in in its founding documents you would see that uh, there is very strong articulation on the land question and how it should be dealt with There's very strong emphatic articulation on the economy and the role to be played central role to be played by the state in wealth redistribution policies and programs, because what a lot of people don't understand in this country is that South Africa, more than anything, needs very unapologetic and strong wealth redistribution methods, policies, and intervention. If you don't do that, anything else you do is useless. How do you even... Because how do you
0: even begin to though like start to, because there's there's so much evidence for how it can go wrong, and and I'm not and and, and, and don't get me wrong my how how do you even start to um begin to to change to change it because again there's so much evidence of how it can go wrong, but it needs so much energy for for you to I can imagine like when you come up with a constitution for a whole entire party, it needs energy, it needs it's it clarity, it needs a lot of energy. And and one thing I can say is I guess the lack of opportunities. We we struggle to to in my lived experience least struggle to 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 keep that energy there to to grow and make the 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 roadmap. To, to doing something like that. Because Azuma had a nine point development plan, but then who then looks at the accountability of where we go. So then you having been in in these, around these minds, what are your ideas around how do we start doing it? Redistribution of land. We're in the most unequal country in, in some of the world. Our, our unemployment is through the roof. Our youth unemployment is even more through the roof. You begin to start redistributing that and making it, how do you start?
1: Well, firstly, we need to uh, psychologically and intellectually uh, protect ourselves from corporate white media uh, narratives that are anti-transformation. Because that's what they are, that's what they always will be. So part of what is wrong is also how we've been conditioned and we've internalized this. And I'm saying we need to drill it out of our minds and our system that if you want to do something correct and necessary, you must now be preoccupied about what if it goes wrong, what if you don't get to the desired outcome. Right is right, you know once there's a commitment to doing something that is just, that is right, that is necessary, we should not allow ourselves to be infiltrated uh, by agents of the enemy to make ourselves doubt doubt the rightfulness of the actions that we need to embark on. And I think a lot of uh, otherwise potentially good black people have been disarmed uh, by those kinds of very negative... uh, neatly crafted negative that are crafted in the narratives that are crafted deliberately and, con- and, and, and and consciously to discredit any thinking around economic transformation you mentioned zuma uh part of uh the reason things went the the, the way that they did in in his time is precisely because of that because any discussion in Parliament or at Lutuli House about meaningful me- measures to be taken by government to bring about social equalization in South Africa will find expression in France and Germany and America and Britain in a very, very, very negative way. And those things are always done to manipulate and uh, to intimidate all black governments around the world yeah. against ideas mm. that seek to make black people independent, mm. in particular, of uh, white nation states. So that colonial relationship is very important.
0: Yeah, for, as,
1: for, as we
0: can see with uh, Cyril and his bodyguards being, being, being shown that they're... They're, they're Africans. They will circle around the Mediterranean Sea six times before they fly over Italy. And they will stay a whole night in a plane at the airports because they do not want to arrest this man that we said arrest. It still happens today. Right. I want to get to the conditioning because I'd like to call it, I, I think, I think to, I think the conditioning because you can be conditioned and not know you're conditioned. Right. How, I I think that's a really great point of starting. Right. And okay, before we we move on to this next 100 years of of what happens after the deconditioning, which I think is is really starting to happen. Right. Um, right. If you look at the the, the 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 global the global east versus currently now the global west. Right. America's losing its 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 legs and it's becoming a a loud dog barking. Right. So how do, you, how do you decondition more people in the East in Africa more quickly to be able to, to see misinformation by knowing, how, by knowing the pieces that is put together? Because misinformation is made with pieces of truth. Great. So how, how do we then decondition the lies told about ourselves, really, which is the real trick of deconditioning? How do you do that at a mass scale? How do you do that for for 40 million blacks?
1: It's very simple. man. You put it in the curriculum of of, of kids at school, right? Yeah. You shape your education such that the children, as early as possible, get to understand firstly the history because you cannot make anybody really appreciate the need for decolonization, for transformation, if they don't understand where we come from as a country. Now, one of the grave weaknesses of uh, this democratic dispensation uh, today is that even uh, public education policy is at the hands of wrong people, people who do, do not prioritize the conscientization primarily of black kids, African kids, about the history. Because those people understand that if you do so, almost automatically you will transform them into revolutionaries, which is what we should all be. Because being a revolutionary means that you are committed to truth and justice and that the injustices... Of the past must be addressed and uh, must be rectified now in the main in South Africa the agenda is to uh, in particular make black kids black youth forgetful if not totally ignorant and that is why you must uh, just uh, distract them with entertainment whether it's uh, alcohol whether it's drugs or sex any kinds of activities that would not make them conscious and aware of their historic mission, their mission as a generation to contribute towards the re-Africanization of South Africa because that's what we also need to understand. South Africa is is an African country in Africa. Mm. It should look and feel like that and land and wealth... Uh, 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 land ownership patterns should simply reflect that Indians from Asia Europeans from Europe should understand that they are in Africa for a number of historical reasons which we can get into if we need to they find themselves here and it's important also for them to understand how they find themselves here but always bearing in mind that everyone else is a guest of the African people here so when others say Israel to the land is ours, that is exactly what they are pointing to. There is no African person that can go to India now and claim a single square mile of India as if it's theirs mm-hmm. or any part of Europe. Yeah. But when it comes to Africa, South Africa in particular, everyone wants to claim that there's no such thing. Can't go to China and, and say to, China belongs to everyone. They'll hang you in China. Mm. So. Part of the conscientization of the African people is to make them to understand that there are traitors in the past who have caused, auctioned our birthright. Our, what is our birthright? It is our land bequeathed to us by, by our ancestors. It's that simple. And there's nothing racist about that or what, what, what discriminatory. It's an objective historical fact. Yeah. Indians would tell you. Their native homeland is India. Their roots are in India.
0: Well, while well, speaking about the Indians and history, uh, I'm sure you know, as a native of KZN, that there's always, I mean, back to Mbonga Ngema, I'm singing about it. Always been this rift between uh, the 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 Indian, the Indian, the Indian community and the African community in KZN, um, probably created by the divides of apartheid, but uh, the it still echoes in our society. And during the, the looting that happened in, in KZN a while back uh, with the sirens and everything, um, how the, the, you ended up being a part of, um, of a movement that sought to get justice from about 100 uh, black people that were, that were murdered for sometimes senseless damn reasons, you know? um uh, what impacted the phoenix uprising or phoenix or phoenix massacre uh i think as you termed it have you personally and in your organizational societies how did it shape your subsequent actions and activism as of late because i know you've also currently going through a court case so i know there might be things that you might not be able to say but I just want to know how it shaped you then as again an a- an activist saying no it. there's not
1: there's nothing that can' be said yeah we don't operate uh, on on, the, on those bases, some mm. of us We will never gag ourselves we'll never sense uh, or silence ourselves for whatever reason yes uh, they can do whatever they want they can hang us, they can send us to the gallows. we'll never silence ourselves because we know what we are fighting for yeah. and that's why Steve Beagle would say. It is better to die for an idea that will live than to live for an idea that will die. We must correct also one thing here. The tension between Africans and Indians predates apartheid by more than uh, almost 100 years. Mm-hmm. So we must not, uh, apartheid was diabolical, not doubt about it. But let's not uh, attribute to it things yeah. that have nothing to do with it or things that existed long before it came into effect in 1948. Mm -hmm. The first batch of Indian indentured laborers that landed here in Teber in 1860. That's almost a century before the emergence of the apartheid government in 1948, Mm -hmm. after that election. So uh, it's not true that uh, at the center of tensions between Africans and Indians. No, it's not true. Uh, Probably it has a lot to do with uh, ideas around color and race uh, back in India. Yeah. Uh, So you can go and study the history, the literature there uh, of the pervasive skin color problem in India. Yeah, the caste system as well. 100%. Yeah. You know? Uh, And the firm belief that the lighter you are, uh, The more precious, and therefore, the more you should be treated with dignity. The darker you are, uh, the closer you are to being an animal. Their old version of
0: House Nigger feels you. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So,
1: that is why we need education, we need nuance here, we need a strong sense of history. Uh, So, and uh, so that we know exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, That's the first. The second thing is. Remember, Indians are brought here by British colonial thugs mm-hmm. who had perpetrated all kinds of human rights violations and atrocities to claim our our land as theirs. Here, where we are, they had established uh, Natal, so-called Republic of Natal. Uh, our neighbors in the south was the Cape, Cape province mm-hmm. of the English. Uh, there was the Transvaal which first belonged to the Dutch, so-called Boers. Uh, there was also Orange Free State, which also moved from the Dutch settlers to the British. And that is why, at some point, there was an Anglo-Boer war. Mm. Because these are two invaders, these are two colonial thugs and land thieves and rapists who are fighting over who should oppress us. That context is very important, mm. historical context, is very important. So. The Indians are brought here because here in KZN, uh, when the British uh, land thieves wanted to establish the sugar industry, uh, Amazulu and the proud people that we are said, no, we're not going to leave our homesteads. Uh, We're not going to leave our livestock, our, our wives and children, our farms, and go and labor on sugarcane farms uh, for whatever purpose that the whites have in mind so that brings about the necessity to sort people who would come and work uh, on those uh, sugarcane plantations mm. at that time india was also a colony of partain the british empire right it was part of the british empire so within the scope of the british empire they could move around the invaded colonized and oppressed people whichever way they wanted to and so that is why they were able to tap into like
0: america and their army bases right 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 right
1: now uh so those are the conditions uh in the beginning uh fast forward but it gets to a point where the Attentions because at that time, Amazulu, just as other ethnic groups, are in the middle of fierce resisti- resistance war. Fierce war against dispossession. For example, the Bambata Rebe- rebellion here, there were a lot of uh, Indians enlisted in the Brit- British army mm. uh, fighting against. Uh, the war Amazul were waging against mm. the British colonial dispossession, Yeah, you know? Uh, such that, early on, and I'm going to keep referring to Amazul because this is the by far the largest concentration of Indians in the country here in KZN. Yes. Uh, Amazul understood very early that these are people who have an alliance with the oppressor that has brought them here. They have no sympathy for us as the people who have been invaded, as the people who have been bombed, as the people who have been raped, uh, and as people who are being exploited, uh, which is uh, very sad and unfortunate because Indians have gone had gone through precisely the same thing mm. in India, through British barbarism. And if you look at the... Human rights violations committed by Britain in India, it it raises question as to why was it then not easy for Indians in South Africa to understand what the black people they found there were going through and forge uh, strong ties with them Mm. to wage this war against uh, these colonial monsters. I think
0: it really just goes back down to conditioning right again because in in them they they could not see their skin color as if you are explaining what you just explained with the context of history they could not find the skin color as our similarities they found they found deeper divide they further divided themselves instead of running away to the zulus they helped the british fight. right that's what history says right (laughs) you know so suppose (laughs) yes so so it's it i thank you for that for sharing that that perspective that's not commonly shared and easily found <laughs> online um uh, it's very it's very it's very interesting because then in, when you really look it's we it can be stopped now if you decondition right <laughs> we can right. still today right. say right. hey right. look right. similar right brown
1: right you know right. so
0: um i just want to say so you regarding this the the statements so you've made for the march and justice Think you have kind of, but I don't know whether this makes sense to you. Could you probably provide some context? I guess you have explained that the context and the manner wise, because you know It's a
1: chant, man. It's a an older yeah, p- political chant and revolutionary slogan. 100%. Period. There's nothing else to explain. You know? uh, um
0: okay. Um the case. Do you think do you think if things happen based on the constitution? Do you think it's a, it's a win-win or they're just trying to
1: scare you? What do you think is happening? They know they can't scare me. Hmm. I'm not scared of anything. I'm not scared of death. I'm not scared of jail. I'm not scared of anything. So it would be a completely futile exercise to try and intimidate me. I'm just not that kind of person. So, But again, if uh, on the facts and merits of the case, there's no case, none whatsoever. Mm. you know uh, instead uh, maybe that also then make us understand how my so-called case has gotten this far Uh, we all know the elements uh, and what happens especially here at uh, Debon magistrates court Uh, for example it's been two years now on the case I've never sat before an African magistrate. Hmm. It's only been whites and, and Indians. And I've asked this in court. How how I've made that
0: is uh, the majority Indians and in well, and the, That's in the, that's in the in work
1: place? that's the work of investigative uh, uh, uh journalism. Hmm. That's the work
0: that Oh no, journalism's gone to the pit.
1: Well, well, i I'm, I'm 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 just putting it out there that if we did what is necessary, our work would be much easier. But I just find it so, so, so weird, so troublesome, that for over two years, there is not a single African magistrate who is fit and available to sit. I've seen magistrates change. White man, white woman. Indian men, Indian woman. Not a single.
0: Are you telling are you telling me based on your experience you think there's no black magistrates?
1: Well well, we, we know that just like in other sectors of uh, the administration or the economy, there's a gross underrepresentation of Africans. Mm. Gross. And it's deliberate. Mm. Because they understand that. The more Africans you have...
0: The more they relate with the...
1: You saw what I mean? Yeah. And the more there's commitment
0: which goes towards to, broader
1: transformation and decolonization.
0: Which is what in America was working against the black people when judges started earning shares in prisons. It, 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 there's no way you can look at, you, at that person and go, that's my son, because time and time again... Well, it's a very easy to look at because all of the information's in the. America
1: is the worst example to make. It, that has been hell since, uh, since the so called founding by the so called founding fathers. Yeah. So, so that justice system, it just. It, it's not, that's not a justice system. That's an oppression system. It's, it's an oppression system. Yeah. So. That they used to, uh, you know, uh, 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 make the Native American people go through hell, genocide them. Uh, mass incarcerate them; those who are resisting. It's the same machine, uh, traditional machine they used for such a long time, almost three centuries, to oppress our brothers and sisters that they had stolen from the continent. So I, I mean, again, I don't know why would anyone look to America for uh, as a model for. Uh, I don't know uh, ju- proper judicial governance or democracy. That don't you know how America was founded and how it it has been sustained? Hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. And I say, and I and I and I really say this because myself, I it's deconditioning. Colonization wasn't just with ships; it was also with the food, with the culture. Of course, you know. Yeah. So they've
1: made you addicted to hamburgers and. and- Coca Cola. I love them burgers, man. They're so good. There we go.
0: <laughs> so, but it's only now, later on, as you can actually go long periods, realizing that your granny had the perfect diet, right. You right. Know? Right. So <laughs> right. right? Right. You speak like this, and then I start to think, imagine how your last days in corporate were, that last, that last couple of months, that last. So as your your consciousness is fully is fully going against what what your body is doing look
1: from day one i knew i didn't belong uh loud black you know it was just that simple but i had parents who invested uh, quite a handsome amount of money into my education Mm. you know and they had expectations and you can imagine uh, as a black kid because most of us do not come from money and wealth so there is an expectation and i think that to a certain extent it's a very valid and legitimate uh, expectation on the part of the parents that once you graduate and you get a nice job, like I was able to, and you know, uh, that you, that'd be certain things, you know, you're doing at home and so on and so forth. So, what car did you buy? Say again. What car did you buy when you got the job?
0: Say, say again. What car did you buy when you got the job? Did you say, <laughs> I'm I, embarrassed, think I, said I'm embarrassed to I say. know, that's why I'm asking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It
1: was a, uh, uh Three three thirty <laughs> I PMW. Woo! Let's yeah. go! The <laughs> yeah. Germans are here. Okay, can yeah. okay, I just, yeah. just tell mm-hmm. you? Yeah. <laughs> so I think for me, most importantly, uh that I stayed that long had little to do with me and what I wanted. Yeah. It's 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 this uh variety of conflicting interests that I had to balance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that I and that also explains why I moved from investment banking to forensics to ICT thinking maybe you find a Thinking and hoping you know you know but just one common denominator it's a space that is brutal and vicious with white arrogance and white racism and they don't mince their words in terms of making you see feel and understand that that's their space yeah. you know so uh, so yeah uh part of the reason why we should uh, also, as a generation, be very committed to building black institutions. Because there's no excuse now why black kids, every time they graduate, they must go and uh, fold their caps and kneel to racist whites uh, and Indians, in some instances, and beg for jobs. Why aren't we creating our own jobs?
0: Hundred percent, and that's why I started like an organization like deeply rooted. Is is feeling that there's two, there's two, there's two film industries in this country. There's the film industry in Cape Town, yes. which has got a lot of dollars, and there's the film industry in Joburg, which right. has got a lot of blacks. Right. So, <laughs> I I I studied in the in the corporate in the corporate like one. Right. And it's that. This is our way. We do it this way. Right. You can go play over there with your small little toys, black right. boy. Right. Is is essentially what every every loud black person has to deal with in um, a white control space in a space where the majority of the money comes from. Right. Uh, capital, which right. is which is not dark. Right. So I get you, man. Like it's, yeah. But
1: also, you guys need to understand. Black artists need to understand. Uh, white artists are an extension of uh, white power, white privilege, Mm -hmm. and they want to preserve that, and they're very conscious about that. Mm -hmm. The question then becomes, why would they want to invest in black art, which in many ways must also be an extension of black resistance and uh, and the fight of black people, to change things around, 100%. so so you that's why political consciousness is important for everybody, Every right? Because if you know your responsibility as a black musician, uh, as a black filmmaker, you know that what you're doing is bigger than you, and it being bigger than you means it also has to do with the collective plight of the rest of black people. So the kind of films that you would make must incorporate the plight of black people, the aspirations of black people, the challenges that black people are faced with. And I'm saying, in the main, uh, white financiers have no commitment uh, to that program. They, they don't.
0: It doesn't, it doesn't help so, them to have an educated uh, uh, mind filled with educated
1: minds. It, it doesn't help to them to help create black films, mm-hmm. films that will reflect the aspirations of black people, because that's a threat to white power, to white privilege, and to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It, it, in a way, it would also be like funding a revolution against them.
0: Because when you really look at it, Bollywood makes more money. <laughs> They're not even number one, really. right? Right, right, right. But that's what after digging, because all you're going to get shoved is, you know, they they stole, they, 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 what is it? They fugazied our culture away from us in some way, shape or form. Because yes, I speak like this, but when I came back from, from, from Wells town in Cab, I, I realized that I need to spend time sitting with my black brothers to de- it's, it's, it's a yeah. Yeah,
1: sure. Imagine, imagine if there was a, a black bank, a proper serious black bank. Exactly. Uh, how easy easier it would be uh, for someone with a bankable project, even from the film industry, to just go and uh, uh, and, and borrow money to 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 make the the production just. To, Just to make an example, but the point really is without economic liberation, proper economic liberation of black people, no group within black people can be free. You will always experience what you guys are going through in the film industry, what black lawyers go through, black accountants, black bankers, you name it. Big four.
0: You know? Yeah. You always end up dealing with the big four or something. yeah. Um, What is, just to wrap it off, what is your advice to young activists passionate about social justice but face challenges and criticisms along the way?
1: Well, their greatest motivation should be that criticism. Definitely means they're doing something right. And we've seen this. There's a lot of kids, even in very uh, elite, uh, private uh, colleges that have found their voice. And I can relate because I've been going to school with five people all my life and that's probably was my first podcast education. The racism we received from uh, white teachers and, and and white fellow school kids, mm. as young as we were, uh, at primary school going to high school.
0: Teachers telling you you got AIDS.
1: So so yeah yeah among other things. So the the younger generation they just got to keep going, but most importantly they need to equip themselves. Uh, theoretically, intellectually. They need to take reading very seriously and have a very firm commitment to reading. Also because their real education is not gonna come from school. And kids, you can read on YouTube too. You know, their real education, yes, at school, they'll teach you how to count and how to read and write, but they're not gonna teach you how to think critically. They're not going to expose you to the evils of the system under which we live in South Africa and why it must be abolished and why it must be collapsed and a new just and fair system is created. You're definitely not going to get that, not in a white-owned, controlled uh, private school. So black kids need to know that they will be exposed to real education that would affirm their stance and encourage them outside the classroom. And that's why people like Steve Biko and Franz Fanon and Anton Lemberde and Robert Subukwe as sources of inspiration, knowledge, and motivation are so crucial because these are people who have shown us through their lives the importance of being faithful and loyal to the cause of a people. Despite what your individual dreams and aspirations may be, these are people who made monumental sacrifices as individuals for the cause of the black race.
0: want to take a quick break um for sound cool all right okay looking ahead final two questions looking ahead what's your vision of the future of the country and how do you believe the country can really overcome its challenges beyond i guess the deconditioning and move towards a just and proper future for all of
1: its citizens Look, uh, South Africa is a black country. Uh, If you look at the demographics of this country, uh, black people constitute almost 90% of the population. That's leaving aside uh, the white and Indian minorities. If you add the white and the Indian minorities together, they are still roughly around 9% of total population. So I think black people need to come to terms with that fact and understand precisely what it means. It simply means that they are the ones who have the power, because they have the numbers, to determine what this country should look like how this country should operate. Fundamentally because it is their country stolen from them by aliens from Europe, you know? So, and they definitely will come a time, maybe not in our lifetime, but you can see it coming, where black people are going to become more assertive. You look at the wars waged, by uh, people like Sekukune, uh, king of uh, the Babedi people mm. in the north, Bambata here, okay. against the English, Dingane against the Boers, You you. We are going to reach a moment where we really understand the meaning of those wars against invasion and colonization. Mm. We we'll understand that our ancestors knew and understood that these people came here as aggressors, as people who are here to oppress, as people who are here to exploit, as people who are here to plunder. And that's precisely what they, what is happening to date
0: and another another thing when you really look at it is that they didn't send their the their best citizens down there no of course of course because <laughs> it takes a certain uh, yeah. type of, yeah. of human being to ex-converts, come converts yeah. you know
1: murderers rapists and so on and so forth but the agenda the logic was that they would exploit the land take the minerals all the riches send it back to to europe who uh must benefit uh, against the interests of the African people. So I think one day we'll come to terms with that and understand what needs to be done uh, to bring that program to an end. Do you think um, BRICS is part of that 100%. Of that plan? Absolutely. The greatest threat facing Western colonial and imperialist interests in the entire world today is BRICS. Because BRICS is saying move away from the dollar. Uh, It has no value that it adds when we trade amongst ourselves. Let's use our own currencies, back them up by the mineral resources that we have. BRICS say, let's develop strong manufacturing sectors throughout BRICS countries. Cars, aeroplanes.
0: Our own institutions.
1: Institutions, our own products. Value-added goods, most importantly.
0: Mm.
1: Bricks says, let's trade amongst ourselves. Let's create new rules because the current rules as established, for example, you can get your $600 the,
0: billion. Dollars by
1: death. the World Trade Organization. Yeah. These are rules made by colonizers, imperialists, Western racists.
0: Yeah, they're literally building shadow institutions of everything.
1: But whatever trade you do with them, they dictate. Mm-hmm. How can you be a buyer and dictate how much you are going to buy for,
0: and what you are using from, to buy?
1: You see what I mean. Yes. So, so those are the kinds of things. Bricks is right at the heart. It's funny you mentioned bricks because I was just sharing on Facebook that quite weird and strangely, uh, Emmanuel Macron <laughs> <laughs>
0: he wants to join bricks. I mean, it seems like knowing the colonizer, he seems like I'm gonna send Macron to spy on him. You see what I mean? And then he starts to look very disingenuous. Then when you see him saying, we're not vessels of the USA. It looks like a PR stance now. <laughs> 100%. So it's, very, it's 100%. very funny. It's very funny that Macron is like you know boobah, Putin.
1: M- and uh, especially coming from uh, one of the worst, most brutal, most barbaric oppressors. Who still are oh, 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 oh. taking our uh, minerals from yes. Africa uh, every year. Yes, and making African countries in West Africa pay what is called colonial tax. Closing their borders. You know? But again, for as long as Africa is not united, those things are going to happen because I don't understand how Macron or France can pretend to want to have good relations with South Africa or any other African country, knowing full well the havoc. What they're continuing to do uh, in many parts of, of West Africa or what generally known as Francophone, Mm. uh, which is France's sphere of influence in Africa. So we need to get to a point where we are so united and we love each other and we are committed to one agenda that anyone, any monster that comes in and does something wrong in any part of the continent, you can do whatever you want in uh, Ivory Coast. Uh, Commit atrocities,
0: Belgium in Namibia, you know,
1: but move on to the next African country and go into business.
0: It's almost like how a corrupt minister will, will you know, leave, will you leave this department yeah. and pop up as a, but, as a minister and understand.
1: But with white people, you find Mugabe and you take your land correctly so mm-hmm. from British land thieves, you are going to be uh, abandoned,
0: withdrawn from the world stage. By, out. by
1: all white people. Mm. Australia, New Zealand, Canada. That's how they operate, mm. as a unit. You fight with one of them, you are fighting with all of them.
0: The allies of NATO. That
1: is the consciousness. That's what black consciousness teaches us. That's what Pan-Africanism teaches us as black people. And, and that's what we need to, the level we need to get to. So finally, how does...
0: How do you envision the role of independent black media in shaping black narratives and promoting a more inclusive understanding of diverse perspectives?
1: Well, independent of white, precisely. Black media needs to understand that their responsibility and commitment should be to the welfare of black people in South Africa. So when they say they're independent, it's a nice catchphrase, but what exactly does it mean? There's no independent media. All white media is, is, is committed to white interests, to the white agenda. Similarly, that's what you need from, from black media practitioners. And black media as a sector. It's a sector that needs to understand its crucial role to reflect the aspirations, the needs, the challenges, the hopes, the demands, and to report and cover injustices, structural and systemic, many of them, that black people continue to be subjected to, in South Africa, 30 years into so-called democracy. So I don't understand the obsession with independent or independence. We all have a contribution to make because we are all affected by the ravages of white racism in South Africa, white uh, marginalization of black people and we need to understand that means we must cling together and fight as a unit from a journalist to a pastor to a teacher to a hobo in the street wherever we find ourselves we must commit and work towards the realization of uh, justice social and economic justice for black people there's nothing any other thing you are doing is useless, and we can't can't really... That's why, uh, you know, we don't even like to focus... Even the the blacks that they give money to, to create an, an illusion of success. We know that they do that mainly to distract us from the cause of seeking justice. You know, they put a Jay-Z here, they put a motsepe, they put a Tangote here, and... Uh, because they want you to think along those lines and forget about the most crucial need of fighting systemic injustice, structural oppression in South Africa today. And that's what we need. And once we've done that properly, then we can create a society where color, creed, language, anything else doesn't matter.
0: Mr. Jackie Shandu, thank you so much for coming and joining us. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.